tonight, I would like to um, continue the teachings on uh, bodhicitta, the awakened heart. And what I want, uh, what I want to explore tonight is uh, how, from a traditional point of view, and from a more Western psychological point of view, we cre can create a proper foundation, a proper ground, so that we can genuinely work on bodhicitta. And I added the psychological view on this, the Western psychological view on this, because it seems that through our upbringing and through our culture, we have been wounded in a different way than uh, practitioners uh, who have developed the traditional methods in India and in Tibet. So what, in my experience, many of us ex uh, experience when they use the traditional methods of opening the heart, it kind of remains uh, superficial. It remains, we can say the sentences and we can s do the visualization, but uh, not much happens. Or in other words, it can easily happen through the traditional methods that we don't become more kind. And there we are sitting on the cushions maybe for decades. And nothing happens. And I think it's stupid from some traditional teachers to say, yeah, it just takes time and you need to do it again. It's the right method. Just try harder. Maybe sometimes it's good to reflect upon that it's not working for us. We need to uh, be brave and uh, adapt those traditional uh, techniques to our culture and to our woundings. And uh, uh, benefiting from the psychological, philosophical wisdom which exists in our culture. For you, in Scandinavian culture. So I want to mix a bit what I am, my understanding of uh, the wounding we carry. Mainly through my own experience and my own work with it. And then uh, traditionally the foundation for cultivating bodhicitta is called equanimity. 
So there's two lineages you find, two bodhicitta lineages in Tibetan Buddhism. One you can trace back to the master Shantideva, and the other lineage you can trace back to the master Asanga. And both were Indian masters who lived about the, between the 4th and 6th century in India. And both of these uh, masters, they have their own uh, approach to bodhicitta, but both of them put uh, the cultivation of equanimity as the foundation. What means equanimity? I'm going to explain that. It's not probably not a very known English word. I, I don't know if if normal America, American or English people use it. Uh, and that's, you know, that's already a, a challenge there. Uh, that you, you uh, need to find a, a translation in your language you know, for these words. But it will be a bit more clear at the end of the evening uh, what, uh, what kind of attitude uh, equanimity is. So before I start to uh, explore the first uh, aspect of the foundation, uh, more the Western point of view, let's uh, sit quietly for 10 minutes or we get some space and we can shift so that the lecture and also the questions and the guided meditation after the break uh, becomes really something you experience so that you're not sitting here just with the hat, you know, listening to information, uh, but you, uh, that, you, that you sit here uh, with, your, with your body, with your heart, with your belly. So if you like, you can close your eyes, so it might be a bit easier to connect with your inner life when your eyes are closed. And just notice what happens when you do that. And allow this shift to happen, this shift from the head into the body, <coughs> from the doing into the being. And as always, you can use your breath to slide into the body. So there's really like a shift. Maybe you can recognize how much you spend in your head to, uh, today thinking, planning, judging, and now here in this moment there is an invitation to recognize, well, there is also the feet and the legs and the trunk of your body. And then with the in-breath, you slide or you drop 
with your awareness, with your attention into the trunk of your body. And probably there will be still a sense of that you somehow you're living in your head. But see if you can unhook from that, like really unhook from that mini-me in your head, the story in your head. So with the in-breath you slide down into your feet, your belly, solar plexus, and then with the out-breath you let go of the control freak. You let go of self-improvement projects. let go of fixing and controlling, trying to get somewhere, trying to get rid of things. So it's like stepping into the bath of acceptance. It's like bathing. And maybe you can Notice that some of the tension you carry can soften. Because there's nothing to do for you just now. Nothing is being asked of you. You don't need to prove yourself. You don't need to be kind. You don't need to be smart. You can be yourself just as you are. Just now. a relief. And of course thoughts continue to arise and maybe there's the inner judge still giving his lecture or there's some restlessness. That's fine. Just let that be. Everything is included. This is not an exercise in feeling better or relaxing or being more happy. It is an invitation of just being here as you are. And then when you notice that you get entangled in the story, that the stories become more important, then the now, see if you can drop into your hands, into your breath. Be here with us, with me, with this voice. Just be here. How do you feel? How are you?
And can you allow yourself to befriend yourself for a few moments? To befriend your own energy? returning, returning and resting. And then slowly you might be able to recognize the ever-present stillness, the ever-present peace, which is surrounding and underlying and pervading your experience. That's not something you need to create, it's something you can recognize something which is always already there prior to all experience. Isn't there in your hands, in your belly, a quiet presence beneath, beyond? the movements. The presence, the stillness which arises when we sit quietly together, protected by the spirit of kindness. almost as if we are bathing together in the water of kindness. Then again, if you notice that you get hooked, you unhook and drill back into your hands, into your belly. And then you open into a more choiceless, open awareness. nothing you particularly need to focus upon. Just being effortlessly aware of what is.
at the end of this uh, quiet moment. <clears throat> Let's connect with the heartfelt intention to find healing, to heal ourselves. so that you can stop to add to the violence in this world. And instead, whenever possible, be able to help. So preparing the ground, laying the foundation uh, to uh, cultivate or to discover bodhicitta, the awakened heart, really the essence of the Mahayana tradition, the essence of the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. And two points here. The first is from a more Western point of view healing the narcissistic wound, and the second point, equanimity. I want to continue this exploration also on Sunday with a bit more meditations, but also after the break I will uh, start uh, with uh, one of the more traditional ways to what you can actually do to work with this first point of healing the narcissistic wound. So what it's, there's many different ways how from a Western point of view we can talk about this. I just picked this word, healing the narcissistic wound. So what I mean with that is that we have in our life experienced many moments where we didn't feel seen, where we didn't feel accepted, where we felt rejected, where we didn't, where we haven't been welcomed, where we were not accepted as we are, where we felt that something was wrong with us or that we are wrong, that we don't fit in, that we are not good enough, that we are not enough of this or of that, or that we have the wrong feelings or the wrong, uh, the, the wrong look, the, the wrong haircut, uh, yeah, and it started very small because you're, you're, you, you grew up you grew up in a in a in a neurotic family, 
in an insane society. So, and all that, you know, this, all this kind of, it's like knives, yeah? There's like layer upon layer in all of us, in different degrees. It depends a bit on how damaged your parents were, or how damaged your first boyfriend was. So it's also then the life experience. But of course, we, I think we all need to acknowledge, and that's one of the uh, really great insights in, in Western thought, uh, how, we, how much we are formed by our experience in childhood. And in the, West, in the Buddhist teachings, you don't, find any, you don't find anything about it. They don't have any kind of teaching or uh, curiosity about uh, child's psychology. And I don't know if they don't need it, because if you grow up in a healthy Tibetan family or a healthy Indian family, it could be that they, they are just not as fucked as we. It could be. So that's, that's the narcissistic wound. It's like a hole. And what that hole call, is calling for is, love me, please. Love me. Accept me as I am. That's what that, that hole in you calls. Love me. Well, that's where you, what you were born with. Like, love me. <laughs> and your, your parents, they tried, to, they tried their best, I guess. Unfortunately, many of them didn't do psychotherapy. They didn't, they, they, they didn't look into their patterns. They didn't do that work. Many of, your, many of the generation, uh, in, in, they, they, they didn't. They just did their shit as best that they could. And we are damaged good. <coughs> so that narcissistic wound it leads to this kind of this hunger of, and and that's like that's called narcissistic preoccupation. Is this hunger for attention? Is this hunger for being loved? Is this like, and and this fear of being rejected? You know, it leads to this trying to be good because then we get love. Trying to be the good girl, so Papa loves us, Mama loves us. But it has nothing to do with kindness, that, that kind of trying to be good. It, it's just, it's more a call. It's like a call for help. It's a call for attention. And that kind of goodness, that kind of kindness makes us burning out. It makes us tired because we don't get what we want. It makes us angry. It makes us frustrated. It makes us um, bitter. Uh, uh, it makes us uh, overwhelmed because you know things are not turning out. Our our helping and our being good does not turn out in the way we want it to turn out. We don't get what we want. 
that's the narcissistic wound, and it's 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 nothing. It's it, you know, it's nothing to be ashamed of, or it's nothing to be guilty about. It's something which needs our attention and our love and our compassion and care. So if we if we hear the traditional teachings of the danger of self-cherishing and you shouldn't cherish yourself and how horrible it is. In a way, we all need a big doses, a big practice of self-cherishing. Now translated into healing. Now self-cherishing already feels so, at, the, at least for you who have uh, received uh, Buddhist teachings, it, it seems to be horrible, uh, egoistic. Yeah? But that, that compassion and that kindness and that healing for that wounded part in us, that is not egoistic. And that kind of, you no, know, if you, if you, you no, know, then, and, and that there is a, such a big need for that, you, you, you see this wave of self-compassion and self-acceptance and uh, so there is a hunger for that yeah, in our culture. So if if you if you would uh, talk with a lot a, a lot, uh, uh, if you would talk with some traditional teachers about this, they would say, "What are you doing? That is self-cherishing." They say. They say the problem is that you th that you think too much about yourself. So and then you do get into this struggle, you know, self oh is this self cherishing? Now I shouldn't be so egoistic. I shouldn't, yeah. And and being Swedish makes it even worse. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that the, that Germans are more healthy in that regard, but in in you in your culture, it's even a value. To say, oh, who who do I think I am? I'm I'm like, you know, don't don't shine, don't don't show. You know, it's like it's a national value. <laughs> so it's uh, it's strange. It will feel strange for you. <coughs> And there will be struggle and feeling kind of sh ashamed or guilty uh, when you actually uh, explore this uh, question. And it's a question. And there's not like the one answer which works for everyone, but this question of how can I heal that wound in me which makes me so dependent on being loved and accepted by others. How can I heal that? And then, you know, with that wound, if you enter the, the, the Tibetan Buddhist tradition with that wound, with that narcissistic wound, layer upon layer of rejection and not being seen and not being uh, loved for who you are, then the loving-kindness meditation, they, they, they stay like on the surface. They are like, there's this hole, like, love me, and then, you know, it's like, 
uh, may all beings be happy, yeah. And 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 then and then people wonder, you know, when I talk with people who do this kind of loving kindness meditation, sometimes they say, "I don't feel anything. It's just words." Yeah, it is just words, because it's like this. No, here's the wound, and there, and and here's like may may every may you be happy. And yeah, you don't feel it. You don't feel because uh, because part of this process is to no. When you turn to this wound, what makes it so difficult is that you need to feel the pain. It's not like, it's not just a, a wonderful healing work which like, I love myself. And it, it's not like that. You actually need to feel the pain of the little unloved girl, of the little unloved boy, which is in the structure of your psyche. Yes? No, I, I think it's a little too so like a collective, like in our society, like a collective wound. And then we all have our uh, like individual wounds. Yes, sure. So, <laughs> I don't yes. know if there was a question, but I just yes, like we it, are it, all, it, like we're not used to putting ourselves in the first room, like then it's called being like an egoist or something. <laughs> like yeah, that. that's what I talked about. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Mm. And yes. Also, I think it's difficult sometimes with like the boundaries. Like I need this, like and then yeah, which also makes me I have to say no to this because I come first because I am the most important person in my life. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, I think um, one, one part of that is to understand how that healing, uh, when you do this kind of healing work with your wound, with your inner child, uh, you, it is actually something you do for all of us. It's not, so you can actually do it, actually in this, in this work, if you do it with this perspective of bodhicitta, it is a bodhisattva activity, it is a bodhicitta activity, because you turn to this, and this is a, a long and difficult journey to turn to this, you need courage for that and trust. But you do it with the intention to be of benefit for others. So it's the opposite of being egoistic. It's actually uh, <clears throat> being carried by this uh, by this insight that if I don't heal this, I will continue to hurt others. If I don't do this. I will put this trip onto my children. So it is, uh, it is not egoistic. And one can, one can uh, do this kind of work. One, one could enter meditations like this or uh, uh, like a, a, a psychotherapeutic workshop or 
the work with a psychotherapist, with that bodhicitta intention, I'm doing this not just for me. When you do this, uh, you also uh, touch and work with the pain we all share. So, I think you all have a sense of what I mean with the narcissistic wound, and, and you have a sense, you know it, you feel it, of course, to different degrees, and maybe you get a bit, uh, the, you have like a kind of a bit of an aversion against this word inner child, and it sounds so American cheesy. I, I, I agree with that, yeah? But I mean, uh, I, it's just labels for, that, for something which we could call differently. Maybe narcissistic wound sounds a bit better in our ears than the inner child. Yeah. Uh, so, there is a lot of, of course, there is a lot of wisdom in, the, in, in Western psychotherapy. And uh, I would, I would say it's really helpful as a, as a practitioner in whatever tradition is, is if, if you practice yoga or Tibetan Buddhism or Theravada Buddhism or Zen, to, you know, to also uh, add some, some inner work to that. Maybe to do a therapy or to do some workshops, learning some of the methods. Maybe sometimes it helps even just to read some books around it and, 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 and like reflect on it and, and yeah. Uh, what is, I think, uh, what is very uh, healing, uh, healing in this process is group work. Yeah, so that, that we help each other and we share our experiences. So, this uh, this this insight that you that you are not alone with these feelings. Uh, that that uh, that that you know the others which uh, do this work with you, that they know exactly what you are talking about and they know exactly what you experience, which is of course another sign that it is not personal. If you all experience it, then it is like, it's almost like there is this big wound in the West and we are like, we all work together on it. Yeah? Uh, uh, one, uh, uh, I think one, one good uh, insight is if you want to do this kind of work and, and you, you, know, you, are, you, you will look for a therapist or for workshops or some books, uh, what is definitely helpful is if this work is not just cognitive. It's, you know, because yeah, because it just does not work, just to think. <laughs> yeah. the, the cognitive 
therapy has failed. Not 100%, but 90%. Yeah, so it's like, a, a to, and, and also some of the part of, you, of the wounding happened in a, in a, pre, a pre-cognitive time. And, and it's it's like uh, to get there, you you need to uh, work with the body. Yes. Are you referring to a kind of gestalt therapy or something? Hmm? Gestalt therapy, that kind of working with the with the body. Yeah, there's all kinds of all uh, kinds of. All kinds of Depends, of course, on our interests and, and what we find, and uh, and then there's also, I mean, there's teachers who also like uh, Buddhist teachers who combine that, you know, like uh, you know, I, I, I'm since many years I'm I'm mainly attracted by teachers, by Western teachers in the Buddhist tradition, who also have. Uh, psychotherapeutic and psychological knowledge who are trained in it and who bring that into their teachings. Yes, yes. Uh, like, uh, you know, Jack Cornfield or Rob Priest or Tara Brach or Christine Neff. Uh, so people who, who come from a, uh, from, a, from a Buddhist background and, and they have been meditating for 30, 40 years, but they also bring the wisdom which is frowned upon by the traditional, by the traditions. They, they frown upon that. Uh, but but uh, we are not idiots. Just because we are Westerners, we are not idiots. And there is, uh, there is wisdom about healing in, in our culture. Uh, so, it's it's very rich, and um, I don't think one needs to uh, kind of be, become a workshop addict or something. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but you know, in your in your curiosity and in your uh, in your space and in your flavors, you just uh, open open to to that part of self development. Being curious, and it's just—I mean, for me, I always thought, even like as a teenager, I always felt, and I still feel that the best investment, you know, the best way to invest your money is into self-actualization. It's—I I mean, for me, this is like clear, like something. <laughs> What do you want to spend your money with? You know, going to Maloka for three weeks, getting drunk, having parties. Come on, you do that when you are twenty-one. But you know, with twenty-two, <laughs> it's, it's time to to bring uh, to bring that money into that which really matters, and that is self-development, self-actualization, enlightenment, healing, awakening. That's the best investment.
So, uh, traditionally, so now I want to, um, and after the break, I want to uh, lead a meditation uh, like that. So what, uh, so let's say you have a kind of sense, no, Western therapy, and I'm not, you know, I'm not sick enough to, <laughs> I'm not neurotic enough to, to do that, you know. Uh, and it could be, it could be. I, I mean, <laughs> it's true. It's true. It could be. I, 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 I thought this about myself quite some years. <laughs> like between, not in my 20s, because then I, I did my training in Gestalt therapy and I did uh, therapeutic work. And then, but then when I became a monk, I felt, yeah, I think it's, it's kind of the finished. Yeah? How stupid I was. How blind. Yeah. So now I'm back. <laughs> now I'm back to the to the shadow work. Uh, so, but like there is uh, ways to uh, use uh, or to. Uh, to, yeah, to bring the, some traditional methods into this work, no? healing the narcissistic mood. One is, uh, no, quite some of you have done the Genuesic practice with me, and now you're doing the Vachasattva practice. So, and when, uh, when I explained about the Vachasattva practice, I, I used actually the word healing, and that, that is a potential in the, in the Vachasattva practice. Yeah. So uh, with the with the practice of Tara or the, with the practice of Shenwesik, you can uh, you can refather, you can remother yourself. Yeah? You can you can uh, like you can, could consciously uh, bring that uh, that hurt which you have in your heart, that that longing which you have in, into your heart, into that uh, presence uh, of Shenwesik which is connected uh, with the presence of the Dalai Lama. So the, you know, just to be in the, in the presence of uh, these masters uh, or invoking the presence of these masters and, and, and using that consciously to fill that hole in you. Yeah? So that, that, is, uh, that is a possibility. Then there is... Uh, and I want to lead a meditation like that after the break, there's a possibility to use the traditional loving-kindness meditation or the practice of Tonglen consciously in going back into, uh, into moments in your life where you were rejected, where you didn't feel accepted. And you bring loving-kindness to that little girl, to that teenager, to that young adult which went through a divorce or whatever. Yeah, so you, you go back and you, you touch that pain, which is somewhere still, probably, because you have not completely felt it back then, because back then you couldn't feel it. You had to uh, split from it a bit, because it would have destroyed you. You couldn't, you couldn't afford to feel, it, to feel it completely, the hurt of the divorce, of the 
death of the death of your someone you loved or you know being the being put down by your peers when you were a teenager so that hurt is still there so one can practice uh, and i have been talking about tongden quite a lot the last year so there's some teachings uh, on soundcloud about it if you are interested in it so that could be a practice of practicing tonglen with the teenager back then yeah? knowing that the pain you connect with when you think about the teenager back then is something which is here and which which is a, is part of that wound and which prevents us to be uh, to be uh, open and non-judgmental to others, a bit more fearless in our, more fearless in our kindness, in our care to others. So that's the second uh, uh, way. Yeah? And then loving kindness would be uh, to, you know, to go back to this little girl, four years old, which felt alone, which uh, felt uh, uh, was afraid so then you go you, you you connect with that little girl and you 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 wish that little girl well may you be happy i love you and you imagine maybe what what that little girl needed and so you kind of you you change a bit the the memory of it and and that makes you feel. So what is important here is that that we train ourselves to be connected with our feelings in the body. So we feel the pain of the little girl in the body, and then we feel how it feels when the little girl receives what she needs. And this is not... Uh, a one-time sitting. It's like two, three years. And uh, the whole process is uh, probably for the rest of this life. So that's the second. And the third is... um, this uh, practices of uh, you know, the way I quite often lead meditations, just these practices of befriending yourself, just this, you know, these instructions I, I always I, I give, you know, the many many different instructions which basically all invite you to uh, to relax into who you are and what you feel. To just uh, breathe into that, you know, I, I say things like befriending your own energy, allowing yourself to be, bathing in kindness. Uh, yeah, so all these instructions, uh, you know, also instructions of teachers like Tara Brahu or Christy Neff, yeah, like uh, the, the self-compassion mudra of. Uh, uh, taking care of yourself in the meditation, you know, uh, recognizing how you feel, 
and just being with it. No, just being with it. No, just holding it. No, teach Natan be bra- uh, bathing that pain with the breath or embracing it like holding it like a child. Yeah. So it's uh, it's it's the practice of awareness of of being aware. And in that practice you wouldn't you wouldn't go somewhere like you wouldn't go to childhood back to childhood or you wouldn't you you would just work with what is. So and since you are, uh, the the pain uh, will come up in your daily life and it will come up in your city it is there it will it will come up uh, and it's like you can trust that you know since your 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 pain wants to be healed also uh, it, it will show it, it it will show its face in the right times so if we would just sit every day quietly for half an hour and and you, you would say, okay, here I am, I'm ready, I'm ready to be with whatever comes, whatever arises, where where I am just now, how do you feel how do I feel in my life? How do I feel about the challenges in my life? What is difficult in my life just now? So and it, it, it will bleed into your meditation, of course. So, and then to trust the healing power of uh, awareness, of non-judgmental awareness. And again, this is like a... This is a... This is a... A long journey of really soaking in non-judgmental awareness, soaking in unconditioned love, again and again and again. Um, well, most of us, we live in a, in in, in close relationships, yeah? so like in intimate relationships, or uh, we have close friends, or uh, uh, particularly if you have children. But let's let's take the example of an intimate relationship. So your 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 wife, your husband. Uh, this relationship will bring up the narcissistic mood, and in a way. You can, you can say that's why you are in that relationship. And as a, as a Buddhist warrior, you, you would see your relationship like that. You would really try to see your relationship like that. I'm not here because she is supposed to make me happy. She's not going to do that anyway, really. I mean, in a deep way. No, I'm here because between us, this is an opportunity to work on our narcissistic wounds together.
that's that's why I said I, as as a monk I was more enlightened than uh, as in the in in an intimate relationship because things just some things just don't come up when you soak in non-judgmental awareness by yourself on the cushion. <laughs> it just don't come. It, it's not triggered. It stays bur- buried. You don't get there. And uh, you know some meditation teachers say you you can get there just through meditation. And I think they're wrong. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry that I have such a strong opinion about something. I mean, those meditate. I, I mean, they they are not listening to me anyway. So. I don't think, and uh, I'm not alone with that. That you can meditate your way through your narcissistic mood. I don't think that. That is different. I have a question. But what about if you don't have an intimate relationship the way you are talking now with your children? With plenty of friends around, with co-workers, don't so. you think, no, it's not? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, no, it must be in, in, a, in a relationship, in yeah. a pair. Okay. Yeah, and of course also as a monk, I mean, if you live in a monastery, you have also a lot of close relationships, yes. so it's not that, uh, that, uh, that I could have had the opportunity to work with it, mm-hmm. but I didn't. Yeah, so it came up, but uh, I didn't live in a community. There are uh, monastic communities where this kind of, like, uh, I also spent some some month in the community of Pema children in Nova Scotia, and there, it was like part of the understanding and the work in that community to work with this, you know, to work with when you're hooked, when you're triggered. Um, and and to see the the intensity of that community, I can, kind of in winter five months you are locked into that house, you know, with fifty people, <laughs> and uh, and it's really intense, and all the shit comes up. But in that community, they they have that they have that uh, interest and that curiosity to use that opportunity. So you don't need to have a wife or a husband. But in, 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 as a monk, for me, it was, uh, uh, it was easy to um, retrieve from this kind of uh, conflicts and this kind of situations and, and sit by myself. Yeah. OK. So that was uh, like three uh, ways uh, the the kind of the more tantric practices with the uh, with uh, the shenrezik tara or the relationship to a master then the loving kindness meditation and the tonglen with this uh, narcissistic wound maybe represented by a child or a teenager or young adult in your life and then uh, the third is uh, the practice of uh, non-judgmental awareness, just uh, cultivating uh, a way to meditate which does not exclude anything. <laughs> <laughs>